Hello, everybody. This is What's True for Everybody. Welcome back. This is Experience 28, and it's called John 11, Part 1, Jesus Motivations. Now, if you're someone who, when you have an apostrophe at the end of a name, like Jesus, that ends with S, and you like to add an extra S in there, you can say Jesus's motivations, but uh, I don't do that. I don't do that. Uh, this is Jesus motivations. And these next four episodes are inspired by a very, very special person. In my office, in my house, to the right of my desk is a bookshelf. On top of the bookshelf is a picture of Grammy. Grammy was my dad's mom. And if you know me well at all, you've heard me talk about Grammy. Grammy was one of the most influential people in my life. She was one of the most important people in my life. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, July 27th, it was a Saturday, Grammy passed away. And I found out when my dad called, I was picking up uh, my son from a birthday party. And so I didn't get to answer, but he left a message and uh, I heard that Grammy had passed away. And um, we'll get more into Grammy here in these next couple episodes, but I started, by the way, this is the woman who paid for like, I don't know, 80% of my seminary, at least probably 80%. Um, she told me way back then, she's like, we finally got a preacher in the family, <laughs> which isn't entirely true. And she knew that she was joking. We have preachers in various forms in our family. Uh, but she believed in what I was doing. This is the woman who, with my dad, when I got a new car, it was November of 2004. I got a 2005 Toyota Corolla, uh, which, by the way, I still have like 175 plus thousand miles on it, four doors and three hubcaps. Grammy and my dad and I each paid for a third of this car so I didn't have to get a loan. And then I started paying Grammy and my dad back. And then at a certain point, I forget, I forget exactly when it was, but Grammy and my dad decided to forgive the rest of my debt, which by the way, is what Jesus does. Uh, so this is Grammy. This is the woman who used to tell my twin brother and I brownie, we and cheeser stories when we'd visit Grammy or when she'd visit us at night. She'd tell us stories of these two mice, Brownie Wee and Cheezer. Brownie Wee and Cheezer, by the way, were always us, me and my brother, or my brother and me. And she would take Brownie Wee and Cheezer throughout the day, and whatever my brother and I did that day, that's what Brownie and Cheezer would do, always with biblical truths, by the way. Uh, and, and we have passed, my wife and I have passed these Brownie Wee and Cheezer stories on to our kids. And so for the last, I don't know, seven years, we've been, almost eight years, we've been telling our kids Brownie Wee and Cheezer stories. And they know, by the way, that these stories come from Grammy. This is the woman who I remember gave my brother and me butterscotch and taffy. Butterscotch and taffy are two like dog stuffed animals that I think we were visiting family in California and Grammy and Pop, her husband, who passed away when I was... Uh, a senior in high school were out there visiting family in California as well. And they brought us these two dogs, butterscotch and taffy 
taffy is kind of like a light brownish color. Butterscotch is a, as you could guess, butterscotch color. Taffy was mine. Butterscotch was my brother's. Taffy and butterscotch are in my house right now. <laughs> They're upstairs in my kids' bedrooms. Butterscotch and taffy are now my kids' stuffed animals. This is a woman, uh, just to remind me that she was human, one time in my 38-plus years of knowing Grammy, one time... I heard her say something <laughs> uh, negative about somebody else one time. And it wasn't even anyone in our family. Uh, it was a stranger. I, I'm not going to talk about it because we're talking about, <laughs> about how awesome Grammy is. Uh, it was at Disney World. I'll say that. Um, but each of my grandmas one time in my life reminded me that they were human. My grandma, I will tell you this story. My grandma, my mom's mom, who passed away when I was a sophomore in college, I remember where I was sitting. I was in my dorm room, just got Chinese food when my mom called to tell me that grandma passed away. It's funny how you can remember these moments. I'll always remember where I was listening to my dad's message saying that Grammy had passed away. But (laughs) my grandma... Uh, my mom grew up on a farm in Wisconsin and so forever this, this farm had been in our family. And so I think I was in junior high, maybe, uh, sitting at the dining room table, my mom and my grandma were in the kitchen and my grandma was, was cooking dinner. My brother was in like the family room watching TV. And so the dining room where I was sitting was kind of in the middle between where my brother was and, and in the kitchen where my grandma and mom were. And grandma was putting something in the oven and she dropped it. And all of a sudden I hear shit. <laughs> I immediately start laughing because it was the only time I had ever heard my grandma say a bad word, a cuss word, a swear word, whatever you want to call it. The only time. And I, I remember my mom, there was like this awkward silence and I start laughing and my mom's like, uh, did you boys hear that? And it wasn't like S H I T. It was S H H H H I T. Anyway, both my grandmas reminding me once that they were human, both wonderful women, women of faith, love Jesus, love people. Uh, I used to watch, my brother and I used to watch Grammy and Pop when we would visit them in Florida take their pills in the morning. It was one of our highlights. And so they'd wait till we woke up. Because this is like, this is 4.30 dinner life when you're visiting Grammy and Pop. Uh, So they would get up super early, but they would wait till we woke up so we could watch them take their plethora of pills. And they took them in order and they would explain to us what each one was and what each one was for. These are memories I have. I remember... uh, Part of some of my great memories are now that my kids got to know Grammy a little bit. I remember taking Nylea for the first time. Me and Corey took Nylea, and I just have I have pictures of of Nylea sitting on Grammy's lap on her chair, and Grammy's reading to her, and Nylea's playing with Grammy's necklace. Grammy's ninetieth birthday party. We went to Florida where she lived, and. Parker, our son, was three weeks old, so Corey and Parker stayed home, and Nylea and I went to her family, the big gathering 90th birthday. And I remember uh, just the interactions Nylea had with Grammy and how Grammy would always make you feel so special. Uh, I remember when Parker first met Grammy, he was probably two. And we went, uh, flew into Tampa, drove about 45 minutes to Seminole, went to Freedom Square, the facility at Freedom Square, went into her building let one of my kids hit number five on the elevator, went up to five, uh, walked out the elevator, went down the hall. I don't know. This is like the fourth room on the left. 517, I think, was her room number. 
And I open the door and Grammy's sitting, we can see her sitting in her chair. And as she's getting up, Parker, who had never seen, uh, he had seen pictures, never met Grammy before. He'd heard stories. And you know how like people can tell if you love and respect and trust someone, then, then they don't have to meet them. They do too. And so Parker just walked in before any of us and just walked right to Grammy and gave her a hug. Oh, I'll always remember that moment. This is Grammy. If you knew her, you would have walked up to her and given her a hug too. Uh, but when Grammy passed away, I, for some reason, started thinking about when Lazarus dies and Jesus raises him from the dead in John chapter 11. So last little bit, I've been studying John chapter 11 because why not? Uh, And it's turned into, I think what this will be is a four-part series inspired by Grammy. The other couple stories on Grammy, it's not based on Grammy. It's based on John chapter 11, but um, Grammy passed away and uh, it's sad and she was fantastic but she lives with Jesus, which is remarkable to think about. So here we go. Here's the thing about Grammy. She more than as much, if not more than anyone I've ever met, uh, had this deep love for people. And you can tell by how she lived and stories I've just told you. Uh, And she had this deep desire for God's glory. And you can tell by how she loved people because you can't really separate those things. And you could tell by uh, watching her, like listen to her pray or watching her just read the Bible or, or observing her worshiping at church. I remember the church we would, we would go to. Uh, Grammy had this deep love for people and this deep desire for God's glory, which leads us to John chapter 11. Now, Here's what's going on in John 11. Uh, John 11 and 12 is this really crucial bridge in in John's gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. And it's this bridge between kind of John's narration of Jesus' ministry to to the Jews, to to God's people, and then to the Gentiles. Um, It's a bridge between that and what you can call his passion, his arrest, his death, arrest, trial, death, resurrection, all of that, which is like John 13 to 20. So this is a, this is a a bridge and it's important. Um, the other thing about John chapter 11 is this John's gospel. If you outline John's gospel, one of the ways you could do it is by John talking about seven signs that Jesus performs seven miracles. You could say John, uh, seven, by the way, a really significant number for, for God's people and in the Bible. This is now the seventh sign, which means this is like the climax. He's going to raise someone from the dead, which we'll get to, I think, in two more episodes. Uh, John's first sign is, is or Jesus' first sign that John talks about is uh, Jesus turning water to wine uh, back in, in John, uh, what is it, two? Um, which, by the way, we'll, we'll touch on in, in a few moments. But the, now this is the seventh sign, and now he's raising someone from the dead. This is like the climax of sign of his signs until of course the eighth sign when Jesus gets raised from the dead. And how many days in the week are there? Seven. So when Jesus gets raised from the dead, it's early morning on the first day of the week. It's almost John saying, this is a new week. This is th- things, things are new here. Uh, there's new life. Anyway, back to John 11. Let's read the first, uh, what is it? 16 verses. John writes this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. 
Then in parentheses, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, is the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That, by the way, some fat foreshadowing happens in, in John chapter 12, the next chapter. So the sisters went out, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Interesting connection. Uh, this seems to be kind of a, a line for John. The one you love is sick. John refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved, the one Jesus loved. Now he's saying, quoting Mary and Martha, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Okay, so now right away we already know that, that, uh, that something's going to happen. Lazarus isn't going to be dead for long, if he is dead at all, which he is. Not yet, but he will be. <laughs> the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We'll come back to that. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. They don't get it. Shocking. <laughs> so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> I tried to give you a hint, but you didn't take it. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. All right. Here we go. A few things. Uh, we'll go through three things now. Um, well, first, let's make a main point. Let's go back to verses four and five. John writes this. When he heard this, meaning when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Okay, now verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. What Jesus is about to do, and I would say what, what, what Jesus does always, his motivation is this. His love for his people, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, his love for his people and his desire for God's glory. He says, no, 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 this sickness won't end in death. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Everything Jesus does, his words, his actions, his motivation is love for his people and his desire for God's glory. Okay, you, can, you, can, you can boil it down to that. Now, a few, few examples of this. Uh, let's go back to verse 4 here. When he says, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. What Jesus is not saying here is, oh, Lazarus is dying and is going to die um, so that God's glory can be shown. That, that, no, no, no. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not how it works. What he's saying is, what is happening here? Lazarus being sick, Lazarus dying, and Lazarus being dead. This is an occasion for God's glory to be shown. 
there is a massive difference between something happening in order for God's glory to be shown and something to be whatever happened for that to actually still be an occasion for God's glory to be shown. This is the difference. And I've talked about this before. If I have like a hobby horse, this is probably it. Um, There's a difference between everything happens for a reason, which just isn't true. And God can bring something good out of every, any garbage dump of a situation. Um, God isn't the author of sickness or death. God isn't the author of things like divorce or war or greed or lying. And to imply something like, or to say, hey, oh, this happened in order so God could show something. No, no, Dan, it. No, not, not if it has to do with someone dying. No, no, no. Uh, this can still, however, be an occasion for God to show his glory. Remember Ricky Bobby in the movie? There's a part where uh, Will Ferrell, Ricky Bobby, is in the hospital, the facility, whatever, and he's in a wheelchair, and he thinks he can't walk. And so the two guys, are, his two friends are in there with him saying, oh, by the way, it's time we tell you this. Uh, you can walk. <laughs> And so I almost played this clip for you, for you for audio, but I chose not to. Um, and Ricky Bobby gets mad and he's like, I hope you have sons who are healthy and beautiful. And then they all of a sudden can't lose their legs. And then one of them says, don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> don't you put that on me. I imagine this is what God says when we, we say things like, oh, this happened. This, God did this or God, God was the author of this. Nope. No. Not true. God isn't the author of death. God isn't the author of sickness. God isn't the author of sorrow. However, he can bring something good out of this garbage dump of a situation, which means this, every situation is an occasion for God's glory to be revealed. Every weddings. I was just at a wedding uh, two weekends ago. Got to officiate a wedding of a long time friend. Maybe I'll share that story sometime. It was fantastic. Uh, Tremendous occasion for God's glory to be revealed. Even funerals. Have you ever been to a funeral where the glory of God was revealed, either through how people spoke about God or how people spoke about the person who passed away or how people loved each other through that, how people showed up for the people who were grieving? Have you ever experienced joy in a really sorrowful situation? Have you ever experienced peace in a really painful situation? He or she walked out or or you got fired Something, something, you got betrayed and somehow there was a piece of you that thought, oh, you learned something about God through it. You somehow got closer to somebody else through it. Maybe it was years down the road and you look back, it's like, oh, that's, this is what God did in that situation, even if I couldn't see it there. You've had the hardest like year of your life and you're coming out the other side of it. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. God didn't want for that to happen. Uh, but I can see now how he grew me through it. Every situation is an occasion for God's glory to be revealed. Okay, next. You have verses six and seven here. Uh, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And you read that and you think, wait, two days. He heard his friend, the person he loved is sick, and he, he waited two more days to do anything about it? Have you ever asked this question? (laughs) What the heck, Jesus? (laughs) What the heck? Two days? We'll get, by the way, more into some of God's timing next next experience. 
Uh, now, something here that Jesus is, there's a few commentators I read, something that Jesus is staying uh, like a four days journey away, about a hundred miles or so. Something he, he's like a one day journey away. Um, depends how you interpret the verse in, in chapter 10, verse 40, and where you think that is, because there's two, according to scholars, two possible locations for it. Either way, either way, wherever he's staying, he doesn't leave as soon as he hears this news about Lazarus. He waits 48 hours. But here's the point. He waits until he gets a supernatural insight or word from God that it's time to go. He waits until he gets this insight or word from God that it's time to go. And you wonder, was this easy or was this hard for him? He hears that Lazarus is sick. He knows he's going to die. He's like, oh, yeah. I can, I can wait two days. I'm going to wait for God. Or was this extreme? Like, I know I need to wait on God's timing, but this is super hard because I just want to go fix this and heal this right now. What if you had to wait for God's timing? By the way, this reminds us of the first miracle. This is now the seventh. So this is like a bookend. The first miracle, the wedding at Cana, when Jesus' mom is like, hey, we're out of wine, do something. And he's like, woman, or mom, lady, friend, my time has not yet come. Now he waits two days because his time has not yet come. It's like a bookend of his, of his miracles. So he shows up when Lazarus is dead, which brings up an interesting point. This story, when Jesus will actually heal Lazarus, this isn't, and he raises him from the dead. This is not a story about the prevention of death. This is a story about the reversal of death. And those are two different things. What Jesus is going to do is show that he has so much power over death that he can reverse it. This isn't about prevention of death. This is actually about the reversal of death, that at some point death has actually no more power. So here there's this inseparable intertwining between Jesus' love for his people, which is you, and his desire for God's time and glory, and his words and actions. This inseparable intertwining between Jesus' love for his people and his desire for God's timing and his words and his actions. Uh, What don't you understand about your life right now? What is it? We're like, God, why haven't you fixed this yet? A job. Either you're miserable and you want another one, or, or you don't have one and you need one. Loneliness. You're lonely. Like, God, why haven't you given me somebody to, to help with this loneliness right now? Uh, there's something going on with your friends, some sort of relationship, and it's blowing up. Your church. There's something going on at your church. Or you wish something was different at your church. Your kid, you've done your best to parent them, and, and they're just like running the other way. You're like, two days? Jesus, you're waiting two days for to help me here? Oh, two months? Two years? Two decades? Why? What are you? What, what the heck, Jesus? What are you waiting for? But here's the promise. Whatever Jesus does, there's this inseparable intertwining between Jesus' love for you and his desire for God's time and glory and his words and his actions. We won't always understand it. But maybe, just maybe, whatever it is you're going through, this isn't about the prevention of death, but this is about the reversal of death. Which means like death or something that feels like a death has to come first. And let's look at one more thing here. 
verse 8. Let me find it in my Bible and I'll read it to you. But Rabbi, so Jesus is like, okay, let's go back to Judea. It's been two days. But Rabbi, they, the disciples said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you are going back? Jesus said, uh, by the way, what they're saying is, Jesus, you're crazy. You're crazy. Not only have we just waited two days, but where we're going, people have just recently tried to kill you. And if they are going to try to kill you, chances are they're going to try to kill us. <laughs> we don't want any part of that. Which Thomas actually points us to at the, the, in the last verse of this passage. One of you asked, Jesus, are you crazy? <laughs> You want me to do what? You want me to go where? You want me to do it when? I might, I might actually die. <laughs> or it feels like an emotional, relational, uh, spiritual death, whatever it is. Are you crazy, Jesus? You want me to do what? But then it goes on. Jesus answered, there are, not tw- are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now, Jesus tells them this little kind of parable story about light and darkness and 12 hours. Here's what's going on. Uh, both Romans and Jews divided the day into 12-hour periods. So depending on the season, on average, you would have 12 hours of daylight during a day. Depending on the season, it was probably somewhere between 10 to 14. So most people did their work as long as it was daylight. And then when it got dark, it was time to stop working. So Jesus tells them this little parable-ish saying here, by the way, Jesus is the light of the world. So what Jesus is saying is number one, okay, disciples, as long as you're with me, as long as you're with me, who's the light of the world, you're going to be fine. Like my time hasn't come yet where they're going to, to arrest me and kill me quite yet. Although we're, we're, we're going to Jerusalem. So, so it's coming, but as long as you're with me right now, you're fine. You're fine. They can't, they can't hurt you. Then, then, uh, number two, also, I have to keep doing what it is God is having me do. I can't, even in the midst of threats, even in the midst of worries, even in the midst of doubts, I can't do. The work can't stop. Why? Why? Because Jesus' actual motivation is love for his people and for the, his desire for God's glory. He's like, guys, the work, there's things for me to do. There's things for us to do. And the work, as long as there's stuff for us to do, the work can't stop. So for you, whatever your work is, whatever good you're doing, whatever good you're bringing into this world, however you're bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, in all the doubts, in all the Jesus, are you crazy? There is, a, there is an urgency to this. Please don't let your work stop. And then you get the end of the story where... Uh, it's like Jesus says, Lazarus fallen asleep. We're going to go help him. And then disciples are like, uh, well then he should just sleep. He should get some rest. Uh, shocking that the disciples, by the way, especially in John, the disciples like don't get what Jesus is saying or what he's up to. So this isn't surprising that Jesus is like, no, okay, he's actually dead. Now I'm just going to spell it out for you. And then let us go to him. And then you have Thomas, one of the disciples who's saying, let us go. Let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> now, what we don't know necessarily is if Thomas is talking about Jesus or Lazarus. Um, some people, well, I, I, I don't know. I think people, commentators probably think both. Um, 
But then one, one commentator had said, Thomas here is actually being sarcastic. Yeah, let's go. Why not? We'll die. Why, why not die, <laughs> die with him? I don't know if he's being sarcastic or not. My hunch is no. But either way, he's not, he's not buying what Jesus has just said about the light of the world, that they're going to be fine until the hour of Jesus' death comes, that they're not getting it. Jesus, are you crazy? No, he's not crazy. You just, there's an urgency to the work that we're doing. Now, uh, Jesus' motivation is this deep love for his people and this deep desire for God's glory. I remember about three years ago or so, we moved Grammy from Florida out to California because she just couldn't be on her own anymore. And uh, my aunt, Grammy's daughter, uh, we we're going to move Grammy in with my aunt so she could take care of her. And she is an absolute saint, my aunt, because she's done this for the last three or so years. Um, and I don't know how, but she's amazing. And I remember flying in, we were in Houston at the time, flying into Tampa and my, and Grammy hadn't picked me up from the airport since I was a kid. I bet we'd either rent a car or she'd, she'd buy us like these shuttle passes and we'd take a shuttle. Um, and I knew my aunt was coming to pick me up. And so I get my bag and I go out to the curb and my aunt pulls up and there's Grammy sitting in the front seat, smiling, probably hadn't picked me up from the airport when I flew in for over 20 years. And then the last time I saw Grammy was I was out in California and went over to my aunt's and I was in town for a conference and got to get away and go over there and spend some time with them. And Grammy was spent a lot of time in her room at this, at this point. And uh, I walk into my aunt's apartment condo thing and walked down the hall to Grammy's room. And uh, at this point she was having trouble remembering some, remembering some people. And I walked in and I remember her face lit up and she got these big eyes and she said, Matthew, (laughs) Oh, that's Grammy. That's Grammy. Deep love for people and deep desire for God's glory. So what about us? What is our motivation? What if in everything we did, everything we said, our words and our actions, our motivation was this love for God's people plus this desire for God's glory? How would that change the way we treated people in our family, the way we worked, the way we treated people at work, whether they're customers or coworkers or, uh, or in school, whatever it was, the greatest commandment, Jesus has asked, well, what's the greatest commandment in the old Testament? There's like 613. What's the greatest one? Jesus is like, Oh, that's easy. That's easy. You love God and you love people. That's what Grammy did. And she got that from her savior, Jesus, who she is now with. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Just kidding. We're not done. Um, it is now a couple days after I recorded this experience, and there is this show on ESPN called Pardon the Interruption, PTI, if you've ever seen it. Michael Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, they talk sports, and at the end of each show, they have this segment on the errors that they made that day, and they say, all right, let's find out what we messed up today. So this is that for this experience, because there's a couple things, three things to be exact, that um, I didn't get exactly right. And Grammy deserves me to get it right. And my son, Parker, is here. You want to say hi? Hello. 
<laughs> and so just a few corrections here. Number one is Grammy's condo number was not 517. It was actually 507. It's amazing how like quickly those things can slip your mind. J507, because the building was Jefferson. J507. Second was we moved Grammy from Tampa out to Southern California four years ago, not three years ago. I lost a year in there somewhere. And uh, I don't want to <laughs> jip my aunt out of a year for taking care of, of her mom of Grammy. So four years ago, uh, she's been in, she was in Southern California. And then third, and most importantly, I said that my brother and I would watch Grammy and Pop take their pills in the morning. They weren't pills. They were vitamins. That's important because Grammy was always uh, proud of the fact that they never had to take medication on a regular basis. They took their vitamins for a long, long time. And if I didn't correct that one, as soon as I got to heaven, I know Grammy would be waiting for me saying, by the way, you said this and that's not true. Uh, so vitamins. Now we're done. I promise. That's experience 28. Grace and peace.